0: I'm Aria Schwartz, and
1: I'm Rachel Galligan,
0: and welcome to the Windsider Show, where it's all about the W. This episode, we welcome WNBA champion, a Hall of Famer, and a staple in the basketball world, Lynn Dunn. A show please consider joining our Patreon community, patreon.com backslash winsider. For less than a cup of coffee a month, you can directly show support for the hard work we do covering the W, and don't forget to see our amazing staff's written content over at winsider.com. That's winsider.com. Are you looking to get tickets for the upcoming WNBA season? Thanks to our sponsor Tick Pick, you don't have to worry. The original no-fee ticketing site and official ticketing partner of the WNBA champion Chicago Sky. Use the link dot com backslash Winsider for all your upcoming ticket purchases for the WNBA, NFL, NBA, or any other event. Again, that's TickPick.com backslash Winsider. I am so honored to welcome our next guest to the show, a legend of basketball, 2012 Indiana Fever head coach and WNBA champion, 2014 Women's Basketball Hall of Fame inductee, the one, the only, Lynn Dunn. Lynn, how are you doing? Thank you so much for joining us.
2: Well, I'm I'm doing. I'm, you know, I've taken on a new job here, a new challenge with the Indiana Fever. It's I think it's been about 3 months, so I'm still trying to figure out exactly how this general manager job works, but uh I, so far I really like it.
0: You know, coach, you're you're a legend in basketball and your name is synonymous with with women's basketball at every level, um, but I think a lot of our listeners would love to know how you fell in love with the game. Kind of what sparked the interest uh, and, and and the competitive spirit.
2: Well, I came from a competitive family. My father ran track at Vanderbilt. My mother played high school basketball. Um, so I grew up just competing in everything. Uh, you know, we had a, a basketball court in the backyard. We played baseball, softball, football. We even had a high jump pit. Uh, pole vaulting pit, high jumping and pole vaulting in the backyard. So uh, just grew up, you know, we competed at everything. Um, and it was, I guess, in my blood. And I, that's the type family that I came from. And so I guess when you grow up that way, you can't get past it.
1: Okay. So you go from the Portland power in the ABL, and then you had a really long run prior prior to that time, coaching the collegiate level, assistant coach, head coach. Then you make your way to the WNBA as an assistant at Indiana you go on to be the head coach, you win a championship with a fever. I know you just had that reunion with the 2012 uh, championship team just a few days ago in Indiana. Can you talk about that championship team? Well, let me go back and say one other
2: thing. that My family influenced me, but I had a junior high coach and a high school coach um, that really influenced me um, to, to, for my love of the game, the love of competition and love of Love of basketball, and so they hugely impacted me. And I think the fact that I didn't get to play—I uh, grew up in Alabama. It was against the law for girls to play high school basketball, and I moved to Tennessee and only got to play two years. So I never really got that, you know, enough enough competition. So that that carried over for me to want to create opportunities, uh, you know, for girls and women that I didn't have. And so um, early on in my career, when I first started coaching in college. It was before Title IX, you know, so I was basically providing these women with teams without any funds, and you know what I'm saying, uh, I was coaching volleyball, basketball, tennis, teaching PE classes, and not getting paid to coach, just because I thought it was something that we needed to do, and so that's kind of how my whole college career went, you know, constantly battling for more opportunities for girls and women, you know, even after Title IX passed, fighting for equity, fighting for equality. Um, And and I have to say this, my whole 26 years in college was a challenge, you know, because we were always treated as second class citizens. And finally, when I got into the pros, the Portland Power, the Seattle Storm, and then later the Indiana Fever, uh, it was really the first time that I started to feel like the women were being treated a little bit better than they have been treated, you know, historically. And so I I love building the team in Portland. I love building the the franchise in Seattle. And then, you know, then I came to work with the Fever uh, in the twilight of my career. Uh, Pacer Sports and Entertainment couldn't work for better people, couldn't work for better. Uh, the Simon Brothers, uh, you, you know, their support for the, for the WNBA. And so I was very lucky uh, the latter part of my career to work with Kelly CrossPop and the people with the Fever. And then, of course, get to coach to Fetchings, who's one of the greatest players of all time, in my opinion, is the GOAT. You know, a lot of people think it's Taurasi, but it's not even close because Tamika plays on both ends of the floor. Uh, she defends, she rebounds, she scores. Um, you know, she she just does it all. And, and so uh, to get to coach her um, and get to be a part of helping her win a championship, which, of course, she deserved. Uh, was a real highlight of my career. And like you said, we had the reunion this weekend, the 10-year reunion, and everybody but one player was back. Gosh, it was great fun. It was reminiscing and listening to them talk and laugh and bring up (laughs) experiences that happened that I'd forgotten. Um, It it was just a really nice weekend.
1: You know, I have to say, I was living in Indiana at the time, and that was like, if you were in the state of Indiana – And you were a basketball player. You were involved in basketball. You were at those Fever games on those Sunday afternoons. You know, obviously you have Tamika Catchings. That was a really, really special team, a really electrifying moment in the state. Um, Can you talk about that team and what was so special about it?
2: Well, the number one thing is we were not supposed to win. You know, we were the underdog in every round of the playoffs. And so we were the underdog to Atlanta. We were the underdog to Connecticut. We were the underdog to to Minnesota. We did not have home court advantage in any of those rounds. And so that in itself is significant and maybe a little bit overwhelming. Well, then how in the world did you win a championship? And I I think the interesting thing was that, that who we had on our team The team chemistry, um, the fact that they all accepted roles, whether they liked them or not. Uh, As we went through the whole uh, playoff series, um, we suffered some injuries, some key injuries. We lost Katie Douglas um, after she had literally won the Atlanta series for us. And then she basically broke her ankle in in the Connecticut series. And Jeanette Poland stepped up and hit five threes. Uh, off the bench, and and we won that series, Um, and and then Jeanette got hurt, and so then she was out, and then Karima Christmas stepped up, so it was one of those things where you talk about next man up, next person up, and it literally happened that the people on the bench uh, were ready when their, when their name was called, and, um, I thought we had one of the best defensive teams um, that the league has ever seen. You know, we, we did a really, really good job. When you say, how did you beat Minnesota when they had home court? It was our defense. Um, and we were great at three-point shooting. We spread the floor, we shot threes, but we defended. And I think if you go back and look at that series, instead of putting Brian January on Lindsey Whalen, we put January on Simone Augustus. And Aaron Phillips was on Waylon, and then Tamika was on uh, Maya Moore. And so we were able to limit Simone Augustus, and that was a very frustrating series for her because she was not able to do what she wanted to do. And that was how we won. Simple.
0: (laughs) You know, it's funny. Rachel grew up in Indiana. I grew up in Minnesota. We both have very different memories of that series. I was at uh, that home game uh, that you guys took. And I remember specifically going with my grandparents, not many fever fans in the building that day. Uh, but my grandpa decided with no connection to Indiana whatsoever that he was going to be a fever fan that day. Um, and, uh, yeah, he, he did not make the people around us happy.
2: Well, yeah. And here's another thing when I thought we were going to be, I don't know if y'all remember this, but Cheryl Reed got really upset and tore, took her coat off and threw her coat. I thought, okay, oh, now we've got a chance. If we can, if we can get to Cheryl and she's gonna throw her coat, uh, if she's that frustrated, hey, wait a minute, now this this is this is gonna be good here. So we stole that game up there in their place, uh, and once we stole that game, it was uh, it was really interesting, really really great.
0: You know, you touched on the ABL a little bit earlier, and that that brings up a great topic. Um you know, a lot of WNBA fans maybe weren't ABL fans or didn't even know what the ABL was. And, and you hear it mentioned, you see the jerseys on a random occasion here and there. Um, could you just talk to our listeners, help educate them about what the ABL was?
2: Well, it was a really a grassroots uh, professional league, um, you know, that Gary Cavalli and and, and, and cohort started out of California um, and, and really... Um, I loved the the way they they built it, um, and and unfortunately, I think what they did is they tried to pay the players more money than they have actually had available, and and so that that there just wasn't enough resources initially with sponsors and and if they, but but the the whole premise of it. Uh, w- was was really good, you know what I'm saying? Um, it, it was, it, it, you know, it was independently owned, and, you know, there was no big brother like the, like the NBA, when the NBA started, uh, the WNBA. So uh, it's, its ability sur- to survive was questionable based on, okay, yeah, we can survive, but we can't pay this kind of money, you know what I'm saying, to, to Teresa Edwards and, you know, and the, the stars that we had in that league. Um, but one of the things that I remember about that when I, when I coached the Portland Power, um, uh, you know, some of the other coaches in the league, you know, were already settled in and, um, uh, I'm trying to remember the name of the guy who's longtime uh, Celtics coach that coached the, 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 uh, the blizzard, um, Jones, you know who I'm talking about. Um, great. I mean, I couldn't hardly coach the game. Because he's down there on the bench, um, and, and he's he, – KC, KC, you know who I'm talking about. Um, I, I'm trying to coach a game, and I'm like, there's one of my heroes right down there that that's won three championships with the Celtics, and, and I'm coaching against him. And I was a nervous wreck because he was down there. But I thought he – you know, he, just like when Bill Bear joined the, the WNBA, he gave our league some credibility, you know, because he coached – um, and won championships, and then, and that's what Bill did for for the WNBA. Here he is a, a champion, um, you, you know, uh, with the Bad Boys, and now he's come in to to, to build a team with the uh, with the WNBA. So, um, but unfortunately, when when the NBA decided to start the WNBA, you know, I, you could see the writing on the wall. There was no way we were going to be able to compete. It's like when the NCAA put the AIW out of business. You just couldn't compete with them. Uh, and so eventually the ABL, you know, all those players moved over uh, into that league. And and the coaches did too. I was doing the
1: Portland Power and then later ended up with the Seattle Storm. You know, Lynn, you've seen a lot uh, of the growth of the league over these past, you know, 25-plus years. How has the WNBA evolved through your eyes during this time?
2: Well, it's been a real uh, unique experience for me to get to see – the whole growth of the wnba you know like i said i was in the abl when the wnba started and so i've just seen the whole thing grow and and um first of all you know kudos to the nba for embracing this and saying okay we're going to have a little sister you know to go with our big brother and their 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 resources their commitment uh can't say enough about david stern and his desire to do this. Um, our first president, Val Ackerman, the two of them together uh, were committed to making sure that this league would work. Um, so now 25 years later, I'm really excited about where we are. I think we're to a point uh, where some of the franchises are are making money. We still have some that are struggling uh, as expected with a business. You know, uh, 20, 25 years into the NBA, they were struggling too. So um, we're also to the point where we, we, we may need expansion. We may need to increase the uh, the size of the rosters. Uh, enormous appeal, um, in particular after uh, all of the attention that the uh, college season gets, you know, that we flow right into the, uh, to the professional leagues. And, and so I think we're in a good place. I really like uh, the new president. I like her leadership. I think she's very forward-thinking, has a business mind, um, the fact that they were just able to raise that 75 million, just like that, um, indicates to me that, that she knows what she's doing and which is good. And so I, I think we're, we made a lot of progress. Uh, I would love to see two more teams. I would love to see expansion, maybe one in California where the, you know, where Golden State plays and, you know, there's probably some place here on the East coast. Um, I, you know, I hate that we lost Charlotte. Charlotte was a good spot for us at one time. Um.
1: So, yeah, I, I'd yeah. like to see us expand. How do you feel about an expansion team in Tennessee?
2: Well, I think Nashville is a, is a, is a possibility. Those people in Knoxville would actually drive down to Nashville. Um, you know, there's been some talk about about Knoxville. Uh, but but I do know that Nashville has, you know they have the Titans, they have the Predators. Um, they've got a major university. They've got a beautiful facility in the Bridgestone Arena where they host uh, the SEC men's and women's tournaments. Um, so I think Nashville, at one time, Nashville started had an ABL team, and then, th- th- then we folded. Uh, so Louisville, Louisville's another place that is, has an enormous amount of support for women's basketball because Jeff's done such a great job there and the Yum Center is a gorgeous facility, so Louisville would be another spot, I would think, that should be considered.
1: You know, let's talk about your current role. Um, obviously, things did not work out with Tamika, an absolute legend in the franchise. Um, her tenure was not as successful as I think everyone would have hoped, um, but can you kind of share what led you back into this role as interim GM and, and you know, kind of being thrown into this right in the middle of free agency?
2: Let's go back and say, hey, Tamika was put into a really tough position because now she's trying to rebuild this team without her as a player. You know, and anytime you lose a what four-time Olympian, world champion, you know, and, and, and honestly did not have anyone to replace her in that franchise, it's a tough spot. Um, so, I know how difficult the job is, but when you, it would have been a lot easier if she had another Tamika Getchings, you know, on her team. Um, so, so you know, when, when Tamika decided, you know, to move on in a different direction with her career and her life, um, and they asked me to fill in, you know, I was like, well, okay, you know, uh, I'll do it interim, I'll do it for a couple of years until you can figure out who you want in that role. But I said, you know, I've got to figure, you know, I have Kelly CrossConf some uh, as a resource when we when we did trades and free agency and that kind of stuff. I said I'm just going to get the handbook, and I've got the big handbook sitting here right here beside me, the CBA and everything, how to figure out things and uh, and just kind of hit the ground running. And knew that what we really needed to do was have a great draft, and we, we needed to re read this, you know, reevaluate. How do we want to play? Do we play up tempo? Do we want to play fast? Do we, you know, do we do we value defense? Just do a, a retool, and then I thought the best quickest way to get started rebuilding was to was to you know get some great young rookies. You know, let's build let's build with youth. I like what Dallas has done. That's how Dallas did. It. That's how Connecticut did it a couple of years ago. They they built around young players, and so um, I was able to trade some people and pick up some extra draft picks. And the next thing you know, we've got five rookies. There we go. And so, you know, that's going to be challenging. It's going to be, it's not going to be easy. It's not going to happen overnight. Um, but I like their effort. I like their energy. I like their potential. Um, and so we just have to be patient with them and let them grow up. And so, you know, for us to win two games early was kind of, whoa, what happened? <laughs> Surprise there because uh, didn't expect that. Um, and so now, now we're in the You know, we played, I don't know, seven
1: or eight games. We started to play tougher teams, and it's more challenging. I want to talk about this draft class in general. Um, And a lot of people may or may not know that you had um, a stint at Kentucky. You had a chance to work really closely with Ryan Howard, and I know you know where I'm going with this. Um, But from all that you know about her and all the time that you spent with her, before we get into some of the, the rookies on the fever right now, I want to talk about just the way she's playing right now and the level that she's playing at, did you expect her to do what she's doing with this level of production this early on?
2: So let me make sure that everybody that's listening understands when I retired in 2014, I retired from coaching, wasn't going to coach anymore. I was just going to be a consultant, you know, and had my own consulting firm coaching for coaches where I coach coaches. And I hadn't been retired six, eight months until Matthew Mitchell reached out to me and said, I need some help. And I said, OK, Matthew, what do you need? I just need help. Come, come help me. So, so I, he hired me as a consultant uh, to help him with, you know, he got, had some transfers and had some issues with staff and then help him get back on track. And the next thing I know, he's saying, I need you on the bench. And I'm like, oh, no, no, wait a minute, no. He said, just do it for one year. And I said, okay, I'll do it for one year. And then after one year, he said, just do one more year. And I'm like, oh, no, okay, one more year and I'm out of here. And then I went back to consulting. And so I had an opportunity then uh, to be around Ron Howard. You know, she was on the team. Uh, so I got to know her in a way that most coaches wouldn't. They were only looking at her from a distance. I know what she's like. I know who she is. I know her mother. I know I know her family. And so I wasn't surprised at all that she was the number one pick in the draft. I was surprised that people were criticizing her in any form or fashion. I and mean, what was it? Low, No motor, lazy. That's ridiculous. What Ron Howard does is conserves her energy and uses it when it's needed. They ask her to play 40 minutes. And so she, she can't just run around like a wild animal for 40 minutes. She won't have any energy. So uh, gifted, smart, high basketball IQ, um, can play the one, two, three, four. So I was not surprised at all that she was a number one pick. Nor am I surprised that she's played so well. She's a once in a lifetime type player. So not no surprise to me. Maybe a surprise to other people. Maybe a surprise to some of the media that criticized her. I'm like, what? Why are you criticizing the kid? Mm-hmm.
1: She's really, really good. Do you think she has the potential to be that next generational type of player?
2: Absolutely, I have n- not any doubt about it. And here's what she's going to do: um, she's
1: going to draw a double team,
2: and because of her size and her passing ability, she's going to find the open man. So she's going to be unique in that her her ability. She, that's what they did to her in the SEC for four years. They double teamed her a lot, and then she didn't really have another talented player to throw it to, but she does not. Um, so she's going to be a handful. Uh, and I can see why, um, why Atlanta's so excited about
1: it. Yeah. Okay. Let's take it back to your draft class. Um, I want to talk about Melissa Smith first and foremost, you know, I have to openly admit I, I at one time had Smith as number one. Um, I quickly switched that after Ryan Howard's play in the SEC tournament, but You know, we have to talk about Smith. I mean, she's a walking double-double right now, obviously right now battling a little bit of an ankle injury, but her production and what she's been able to bring to this team right out of the gate has been phenomenal. Can you talk about her a little bit? Absolutely,
2: and I agree with you. There were many people, us included, Howard, Smith, Smith, Howard, back and forth as the season went along. And so we, we felt strongly we'll be happy with either one.
0: You know, whoever
2: falls to second, we'll take, because we think they're both. Uh, going to have a huge impact um, on the WNBA, and M- Melissa, even though she's missed the last three or four games with her ankle injury, is is already averaging a double double against good teams. Um, and so we miss her energy, her defense, her rebounding, just her overall skills. Um, you know, and she's not she's not a guard; she's a four or five. You know, she's she can play either the four or the five, but she does have a face up game, um, and she's really smart um and she's highly competitive um you know she's worth 15 points to us so you look at games where we've lost by 10 well we'd have won that game if if Melissa had been in there and unfortunately in the second Atlanta game she turned her ankle really bad and so we've, we've been cautionary because you know there's so many games you don't want to come back play too soon and now you're out six weeks because then the season's over so hopefully she'll be back sometime this week but uh
1: we're very pleased with her. We're excited to get her. Um, we're going to build this franchise around her. Let's talk about Queen Egbo for a second. I mean, she's been really effective for you guys as a rim protector and just somebody who's altering a lot of shots in the paint, you know, grabbing rebounds. Did you expect her to come in and give you this level of production? You know, what's really interesting about Egbo is a lot of people
2: overlooked her and her potential. They went to watch Nalisa Smith, and they forgot to notice Queen Egbo. Well, we went to watch Melissa Smith so much that we did notice Queen Egbo. We noticed her length. we noticed her uh, athleticism, we noticed her rebounding, we noticed her physicality. Um, There were a a lot of things about her that every time we talked about Melissa, Egbo's name came up and I said, well, golly, Bill, let's keep her in the mix because we had those extra picks. Um, and we did research on her we did an interview with her and the more we learned about her the more we liked about her um, and so um, we didn't hesitate to take her uh, at 10 we were thrilled that she was sitting there at 10 and thankful that, that people didn't realize what type of pro potential she has and so she is probably per minute's played is by far our leading rebound when, when those two Smith and And Egbo were in there together. We dominated the boards against really good teams. Um, We do miss, you know, Smith not being in there with her. But we think we think Queen uh, has a has a huge upside in this league. Yeah, hard to find players like
0: her. Another player that's really impressed me, and you know, did it on the big stage too in the NCAA tournament was Destiny Henderson, Um, and and she kind of in my mind encapsulates this rookie class in general because there's such a cool calm collectiveness from all these rookies. In general when I look at this class, I'm curious for you, you know, did you expect such confidence coming into it? I'm trying to remember a season of recent time where, you know, the the first pick to the 23rd pick or whatever it is came in and has been impactful and has done it with such confidence. And just seems ready for that. Well, the lead.
2: imagine someone like Destiny Henderson, who's just been the, you know, MVP of the championship game, um, leads her team, you know, to to that, and then drops to twenty. You, you know, so so we were we had no idea that we might get a chance to draft her. You know, we'd already decided at twenty we would take the best point guard available um, to help with our depth. And as the draft went along, we kept looking at the pool thinking, golly, Bill, what's going on? And next thing you know, hey, she's falling in our lap. And, you know, and as I said in the press conference afterwards, we didn't draft her. We grabbed her. You know, it's like, wow, you know, she can get to the rim. Um, She's quick as lightning. She can shoot three. Um, So we're thankful she fell, you know. And so we were happy to pick her. And so far, uh, we see that we made the right decision. You know, I'm, when when the dust all settles, I, I personally think she was the best point guard available in this draft.
1: Some others went ahead of her,
2: but I don't know if they're better.
1: I'm curious to know your evaluation and just your thoughts on Emily Anxler and Lexi Hull and everything they've been able to do just these few weeks into the season.
2: Well, you know, I love Emily. Uh, I love Emily tough, physical, mean, nasty, you put her and Egbo together, boy, you better watch out. Um, and and so I love her competitiveness. Uh, I followed her career at Louisville. I loved how she played, how hard she played. Uh, she's another one that doesn't, you don't realize how many rebounds she gets per minute played. how many deflections, how many steals. Um, and she's a garbage player. And so um, she's my kind of player. You know, she's nasty. She's she not going to take any crap off of anybody. And, you know, I might say, hey, you're you going to have to deal with Sylvia Powells. And she may say, who's Sylvia Powells? Because, you know, Sylvia's so much older than she is. So n- no fear, uh, just, just rugged, physical, tough. Um, of course, she's still a rookie. She's going to make mistakes. But um, I really like where these rookies could be this time next year. You know, because they're playing. We're playing them. You know, they're not – most everybody else's rookies are coming in at the end of the game if they're ahead or behind and get a few minutes. Not our rookies. They're playing against the best teams in the league. And they really competed well the other night at Connecticut. As a matter of fact, I don't think Kurt was happy how well our rookies were playing against um, his – what I think the best team in the league probably uh, up there. And so he kind of took it out on us last night. Um, but, again, we didn't have Melissa in that game. So, you know, we, we, we see progress. We see where we're going. Um, but, yeah, Emily is, Emily is my kind of player. And then Lexi is another player that I like because she is a spread the floor, three-point shooter, high basketball IQ, played for at at Stanford, great size, one, almost 6'2", defends, really defends. She's probably started slower than the others because she hadn't gotten as many minutes. And one of the things I think what happened to Lexi, she missed a couple of shots early and maybe lost a little bit of confidence in taking that wide open shot. And when we've told her, if you're open, you shoot it. Um, And so still highly invested in her for the future.
0: Yeah, I mean, not to go back to to Destiny too much, but that one play of her uh, cutting under the rim, playing in the paint against the reigning MVP is just kind of etched into my memory. Um, now, this is normally the period in the show where we do rapid fire, but really we just have one question for you. In 2012, when you won that championship, how did you celebrate?
2: Well, I'm not sure we sobered up for a week. You know what I'm saying? It was a tw- kind of a 24-hour uh, seven day a seven-day-a-week celebration because it was just so unexpected and so overwhelming. Uh, you know, all everybody in town, the parade—it was just the whole works. You know what I'm saying? So um, uh, it, it took a while to come back to Earth <laughs> to settle down. You know, t- to to recover um, because it was just just a really, really special time. And, and that's why having that team back this weekend um, w- was really wonderful. They had a fantastic time. They loved – some of them hadn't seen each other in 10 years, you know, because it wasn't, the teams are never the same the next year. Um, and so it was great to get everybody back. Um, um,
1: but it's probably safe to say we we celebrated for a year. Coach Dunn, thank you so much for your time. We appreciate you taking a little bit of time out of your busy schedule to chat with us. Thank you for all that you've done for not just the league, but for women's basketball in general. We are honored to have you on the show. We wish you the best of luck this season, and we're excited to follow along.
2: Rachel, thank you, guys. Go Fever!
0: <laughs> appreciate you. Thank you so much.